At Emory University's Guisueta Business School, we believe in going beyond what is to build what should be. Because when you change your perspective, you change business for the better. In an ever-changing marketplace, we seek to make our mark, to achieve more, build more, do more, create more. That's the Guisueta Effect. Welcome back to another episode of the Guisueta Effect podcast. I'm thrilled to have you join us as we tackle a topic that resonates with so many job seekers, the challenges of switching careers in the job market. We'll discuss the secrets of career switching and positioning yourself for success. Today, we're joined by Danielle Rubenstein, Senior Director, Career Management for Alumni and MBA Working Professionals at Emory University's Guisueta Business School and Chantelle McMahon, a finance leader at Intuitive Surgical that has successfully navigated several career transitions. So Danielle, I think we'll start with you. You know, you have such great experience as Guisueta's Senior Director of the Graduate Career Management Center. I'd love to understand just a baseline, what is career switching? Great question. So career switching is really when you want to make a change in your career in a different direction than where you've been. So it can be either a functional switch, meaning that the day-to-day responsibilities and focus of your job is different. Um, It can be meaning you could switch from finance into marketing, or you could switch from HR into operations. It can also be an industry switch. So let's say you've had a lot of experience in the healthcare industry, and you really want to switch switch into something that's retail focused or CPG, then that is also considered career switching. So it it really falls under one of those two buckets is how I would say. Yeah, that makes sense. And I know that you've seen that a lot. So especially at a business school, which a lot of times people come to business school to switch. But what what do you see um, as the key challenges of switching careers? Key challenges are really first and foremost, understanding what you want to switch into. So sometimes people can idealize like, oh, this type of role is going to be really exciting and match my strengths and be something I really want to do. So and it doesn't always end up working out that way. So I think it starts with intentionality of where do you truly want to be taking your career and evaluating what your strengths are, what your values are and and what you're really interested in so that you're making a very um, conscious and intentional pivot. The challenge challenges are if you have expertise in a certain area and you're trying to build expertise or gain experience in a different area and that job requires experience already. It's that whole dilemma of the chicken before the egg. And so that's one of the things that I think people encounter when they're looking to make a career switch is, I don't have experience in this area. How do I make that pivot? Confidence is another key challenge. You know, there's transferable skills that are underlying every job that you have and it's really taking a step back and understanding how do my skills relate to this other area or or my experience relate to this other industry and people can't always see that as clearly as as um as they may want to so i would say those are probably the main challenges but there's others as well so Chantel, you've had a successful switch in your career multiple times. I'd love to just understand your story, how it came to be, and you were able to 
successfully make these switches in your career. Thanks, Monique, and thank you for having me on, Danielle. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. Uh, in terms of my career switch, I'll give the audience a little bit of a background where I was. I started my career in R&D and medical technologies. Highly technical background. I spent eight years in varying roles across things like um, real-world analytics and evidence generation, product development, and algorithm development. A few of the key themes that I was identifying as I was progressing in my career were things like, you know, I loved working in cross-functional groups of people, I loved solving challenging problems, and I had this kind of inner passion to understand what makes a business successful. I had realized when I um, had decided to come to Emory's Business School back in 2020 that you know, I was getting to a point in my career where I wanted to be accountable for revenue. And the function within R&D just didn't position me to really understand or drive a business to be successful from the top line all the way down to the bottom. Uh, when I started Emory's Business School, I had my first exposure to finance, to marketing, to strategy. I was completely hooked. And I had to think very deeply about you know, what type of a next role would help position me to, to take on these new responsibilities and really learn how to run a business. And I, I struggled, actually. About after the first year, I was really fortunate to find the Career Management Center and Danielle, and she gave me a lot of tools to help the transition Things like, how do I write out and prioritize my values? You know, we would go through activities of looking through job descriptions that had been posted online to find what I would find interesting and challenging and how to try to prep for an interview. I think the key actions that really helped me to pivot were things like thinking through my talk track, these themes of transferable skills that Danielle has been speaking about. Things like, um, my technical and analytical capabilities, my ability to work cross-functionally with teams, my inherent drive and understanding of business because of my business degree. And um, I wouldn't call it easy, okay? I probably had about 10 interviews in the last um, year of business school. And um, what ended up being really fortunate for me was finding a role in finance, uh, in FP&A, which is financial planning and analysis. And you can kind of see the correlate already, right? Analysis, I had a background in analytics. I think a lot of the things that prepared me were things like networking. I already had a mentor who was at the company. Um, a previous mentor of mine had highly recommended the company that I ended up um, moving into. I had Danielle and the CMC that were helping me, so I kind of pulled this network of you know, supporters and folks that could give me feedback, I could practice. And honestly, it was a little bit of support from the hiring manager. He said to me, listen, Chantel, I can tell that you are highly capable. It doesn't worry me that you don't have a background in finance because that you can learn. The things that I want to bring you in on are your experience in data sciences and artificial intelligence and med tech. You would be a huge asset to the company. And uh, so, yeah, so it was a little bit of luck, a little bit of networking, and a, probably a lot of preparation. Yeah. I, w I want to talk about networking just because this is like such an ugly, nasty word to a lot of people, and it just scares them to death. Like, why do you think people struggle with networking so much, and, and what thoughts do you have that that you can share that would make it easier? 
Yeah, I think that conversations I have with students and alumni all the time when I mention, oh, let's start talking about networking or who who do you want to build relationships with? I can see on their face the fear. You know, it's just like, oh, no, I don't want to talk about that. I think it's that people feel it's two things that I hear as themes. One is that they feel like they're using other people. So it feels disingenuous in some way. And so they don't like being put in a situation where they're asking for something of somebody they don't know. I think it's it's really uncomfortable, the idea of reaching out to someone that you have never met before to to ask them for something. So that's number one. And then number two is that people they don't see necessarily the value without having done it yet. They don't see how it's going to lead them to the job. A lot of times they're like, I just want a new job. Why do I have to be talking to all these people? I've got a great resume. I can apply. Why do I have to reach out to all these people? And that's something I think that Chantal did amazingly well. She's underselling when she says that she did a little bit of this, a little bit of luck. It was a lot of hard work. And it was a lot of relationship building. So when I talk to people about networking, it's really about helping them understand you're looking to learn from them. You're not using them. You're really looking to gain insight about their company or their role or their experience. People like talking about themselves. So it's not a hard ask to say, tell me about you. Uh, It's a question of time and being flexible around when you're asking for their time is really important. But it's it's not a hard thing to say, I I wanna learn about you. People can be flattered by that. I also encourage people to say, how can I help you? So it doesn't feel quite so one-sided. And also to start with warm connections, people often don't think about the neighbors that they have as part of their network, or they might go to a a school function or former classmates. You know, if they haven't talked to them in a while, they're like, I don't want to reach out. It's like, but think about how your relationship was years ago or however long, months ago. They would probably love to hear from you. So it's really just breaking through some of those barriers and and assumptions that people have about what networking truly means and reframing it for them so that they can really take advantage of the benefits that come from networking. Yeah. One reframe is just thinking of it as relationship building, right? Mm -hmm. Because I don't think most people think of networking as relationship building in an authentic way anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of the things that you all are saying, you're skilled at it and you sort of take it for granted a little bit. Is there any resource or book that you would recommend of like, hey, this is a great guide or framework to think about um, how to improve networking or even just the job search in general? Yeah, there's, um, for introverts, there's networking for introverts. There's quiet. Um, There's, you know, some of those books for people that may be even more intimidated by the process than people who tend to lean more towards extroversion. It's easier for them. And it's, I'm not saying networking's easy, but it can be easier because they're already comfortable initiating conversations. Um, you know, there's a lot of tutorials that are out there about informational interviewing, which is essentially networking. It's, it's, I love what you said about relationship building. That's spot on. It's also 
gathering insight and information. It truly is just trying to learn from somebody else about their career path or their life or their choices. So sort of breaking it down into what does this truly mean? How can it feel authentic to you? And what are some action steps that we can build out together so it feels palatable to move forward? Yes. I know I'm bearing off a little bit here, but something you just said about using it as a tool to learn, um, I think is powerful just because a lot of people are really aware that they don't like their current job, but they don't know what the new job is. They don't know what the new opportunity is that they want. And so you mentioned intentionality before. Like, what are your thoughts on just that phase where being in that phase where you know you don't like your current role, but you're not sure what your next step is and how to figure that out? I'm going to bring Chantal into this one because I think that she did such a good job. It takes work. It's really not, oh, I'm going to go to sleep and wake up knowing in the morning. People can also get stuck in the idea of, I don't know what I want to do. And that becomes their refrain. And it's really hard to break out of it. So when I'm talking with people or coaching them, what I hear is, you actually know more than you think you do. You know, you know that you love working with teams. You know that you love presenting. You know you love analysis. So now we have some clues to go on. Let's do some research and some digging to start to uncover what is it that's out there that could match you. You know, I think um, I, I really want Chantal to talk about her journey because as she mentioned in the beginning, it was confusing at first. She wasn't sure exactly where she wanted to go. And uh, her hard work, perseverance, networking, um, relationship building, conversations, all of those things really enlightened her and, and opened up doors. So why don't you share a little bit about your journey? Yeah, thanks, Danielle. I, um, I'll start with the softer side. Um, I am clearly an extrovert. I have no problems walking up to strangers and asking them about themselves with the intention of learning and um, growing and relationship building. So um, this advice not might not be right for everyone. Uh, but I, I would look at people's job titles in my company and say, oh my gosh, you're the head of pricing? Why do we need a head of pricing? What what does that even mean? Like, do you mind just grabbing 15 minutes with me this to have so coffee true. and tell me so what true. that what that is? So, I think that was a good way for me to at least in my early days of my career, coming in from a background in academics where I had no idea what, you know, HR was. I had no idea what legal or privacy meant or marketing, and so I I did my own kind of sampling around. Um I will say though, one of the most robust tools that I continue to use today was a pretty simple Excel worksheet that the CMC had provided me where you literally write down what are my professional and even some personal goals. Um, Some explicit examples are things like, I have a young family, I would prefer to travel less than 25% of the time, or I have a passion in my life for medical technologies. I want to learn about um, building a financial plan, you know, and you kind of rank them according to the importance in your life. And I, I kind of shared before, I would scour job descriptions and I would cross out the things I didn't quite like. I would circle the things I really liked. So when Danielle says I did my homework, I was very intentional about finding the type of role that would fit my own kind of passions. And even if I found the perfect job description online, I would go to an interview and something wouldn't feel quite right. 
I would leave the interview and think, oh, what was it? And I would have to think really carefully about, you know what? That interview made it feel like I was going to have to, I don't know, do more technical hands-on work than I'm looking to do now. And I would include that in my list. I would reprioritize. And oftentimes having a conversation with a coach or a close friend that can help guide you was helpful to tease out those those things that sometimes I couldn't put into words. Um, so those two tools together were really quite helpful in kind of prioritizing what type of role would be best um, for me moving forward. I love that. I love that. And I love that along with the idea of like knowing what your strengths are. Um, I think sometimes there's not a level of self-awareness. Like what do you think is a good way to um, further understand what your strengths are? Yeah. I think that taking a step back and, and doing a, an evaluation of your life experiences across your entire career and really writing things down is so important. People get stuck in their heads and it, they it just goes in circles. And so I can't emphasize that enough. But if you can take 15 minutes and think about this was the job I love the most, this was the job I really disliked the most, and delve into what was it that you loved about that job? What were you doing on a day-to-day basis? What did your responsibilities look like? What were the skills that you were using? Write it down. And then also on the flip side, when did you feel most miserable? When did you not have energy? When, you know, when did you feel energized and connected? Like you went home and you wanted to tell somebody about your day versus you went home and you just wanted to go to sleep because you were <laughs> exhausted. So energy is a key point of this. You know, really that self-awareness, paying attention to those energy levels and, and paying attention to what you're doing at those times. That is a good exercise that I recommend for people when they're really stuck and they're not sure what they want to do. I also think that what Chantal did in terms of reviewing descriptions, um, even if it's not a, a job description, you can look at LinkedIn profiles and see what people are doing. You can look, there's an occupational outlook handbook that has a lot of different jobs that are out there that it doesn't have to be something that people are hiring for. So there's plenty of places to explore and gain insight. It just, you have to commit to it. It can be scary. It can be time consuming, but you are make, you need to make yourself a priority. Sometimes the path to finding a new role is filled with rejection. Mm. Um, And there's sort of, in a tough job market especially, motivation and resilience are essential. What advice do you have for professionals who may face rejection or setbacks during their transition? Mm, It's so hard. You know, I, I think that... First of all, just empathy, knowing you're not alone, that that is part of the process. And it's it's um, not personal. Feel so personal in the moment, but it truly isn't. Because if you're getting, quote unquote, rejected from applying, you're a piece of paper. It's not you. And so I think it's really important to be objective as much as possible and ask yourself what you know to be true. The the other thing about yourself, like what do you know to be true about yourself? And don't give your power away to an AI generated keyword search, you know, and, and, and start to make it feel like you're not worthy or you're not valued. So I have conversations about that often because people can feel dejected. And so it's really reframing. Again, I use that word a lot, (laughs) reframing. Um, The other thing is, and Chantal alluded to this a little bit, is 
finding advocates is so important. You're looking at making a career switch. You, It's challenging enough. Trying to go it alone is going to make it near impossible. So really writing down all the people that are in your network and again, getting creative. You know, who do you, are you looking to make a career switch in your current company into a different function? Who do you know in those different departments? Are you involved in business resource groups? Are you, you know, getting engaged with different levels of leadership so that you're building a reputation, you're building a brand? So that's internally, but the same thing can be applied externally. You know, who are people that maybe you went to undergrad with? If you're pursuing a graduate degree, who are your classmates that are working at a variety of different firms? And who are your professors? Who's your career management center? So, you know, I think it's it's really important to realize you're not going it alone. Reach out for support when you need it and you are feeling down and reframe and understand it's not personal. So I want to talk about personal branding. This comes up a lot, this idea of personal branding. And, and I don't know, is it is it legit or not, right? Um, what are your thoughts? What is personal branding? Um, do you think it plays a role or not? <laughs> I have a love-hate relationship with personal branding. I really do because it's, it's, um, it's a catchy marketing term, and there's some real value to the idea of it. This whole idea of a unique brand, though, um, I don't know. I could go on. This could be a whole other podcast session that I could go into about about branding. But I think that the key elements that I think are really important and that I would pull out are that you want people to understand the value that you bring and the skills that you have that are going to add value to them. So I'm going to go back and use the word intentionality again. If you're looking to make a career switch, it's understanding what are you switching to what are those core skills and experiences that are needed to make the switch effectively? And how are you promoting yourself, which is the branding piece, to show you have those capabilities? And that can include writing LinkedIn articles about a certain topic. It can include sharing you know, certain expertise, being on presentation panels. It can be writing samples. It, you know, it's a, it's a wide variety of things, but the part of branding that makes sense to me is really thinking about what do you want people to know about you? What do you want people to think about you? And that is where you create a brand for yourself at a company in your life of, I'm going to go to Chantal when I need to pick me up because I know she's going to make me laugh. You know, that's part of your brand. What do I want people to say about me when I'm not in the room? And that's, that's what I would encapsulate in your brand. Chantal, what would you say? I, I agree with everything you've said, and I'll also share a personal story of how it, it can be a double-edged sword. So back at the time when I was in R&D, I was leading uh, part of our data sciences, including things like artificial intelligence and machine learning. I was involved in like corporate pan artificial intelligence committees to try to help think about regulatory strategy and artificial intelligence and how do we build the technical expertise in the company. When I uh, made the decision to try to move into a more strategic role like strategy, finance, or marketing, I would find that I would use this personal brand that I had built, this credibility within the company, but it wouldn't always resonate. So I would go to an interview for a marketing position, for example. I would talk for 30 minutes about my expertise and my desire to move into marketing. And we would end the conversation with something that said, 
you know, I think that's great, but we really need somebody to spin up our AI division. Like, wouldn't you rather do that? And so I think the advice that Danielle is giving is right because it's more of the recipient of the value that you're trying to express. Meaning this person had an idea in their mind of what a marketer would look like. And I was talking a lot about AI because that was my expertise. So I spent a lot of time, actually, I shared that I had gone through probably 10 other types of interviews before finding the position that I'm in now. And I was practicing. Every time I got a rejection, I thought, okay, well, what's the talk track I need for my brand as I see myself in the future? So those things we talked about, like using data to enable decision-making, working cross-functionally or cross-collaboratively, thinking about what makes a business successful, um, I kind of just refined that talk track over time and I could see people started to nod their heads when I shared that talk track. It doesn't necessarily mean that it won't change over time and that maybe my next role has a different type of talk track, but clearly the one I was using of the personal brand that I felt very close to wasn't, wasn't working. I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up. It's so important to be aware of your audience and what is it that they need for the role, right? Um, and understanding what skills are important for that role. So it's not just about understanding your personal skills, but understanding them in relation to the skills that the interviewer is looking for for the role so that you can match those up. And Danielle, I know you know this. The first question in any interview is tell me about yourself, yeah. right? Yeah. Walk me um, through your resume. Walk me through your resume. Tell me about yourself. Um, so, and that's, that's an opportunity, right? to sort of create this narrative or personal brand in the skills that you highlight, um, having awareness of your skill set as well as what they're looking for. Yeah, it has to be married. It has to be married, especially when you're looking to make a career switch. And so two things that you all both said, one is it's your future self, it's not your present self. So who do you want to be in the future and how is your talk track and all of your materials, let's say, your resume, your LinkedIn posts, your networking, your focus, how is that all rolling up into who you want to be in the future? I'm going to go back to your rejection question for a second because I think it's also really important when you are in a situation where you're getting no, 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 you need that support, you need to realize it's not personal, but it all also, you need to take a step back like, like Chantal did and say, where is their potential misalignment in what I'm doing? Because it may require a little bit of a pivot. And that can help breed success too. So it's, it's always good to evaluate, is there something I could be doing differently? Are there things I need to do differently in my resume? Are there things I need to do differently in my interviews, in my networking conversations? You know, that self-reflection piece is key throughout all of it. That rejection could be feedback. That's exactly right. That's a very nice way to phrase it. Yes. Sometimes in the in the process of trying to switch careers, uh, there's something. Let's see. How should I put this? We've been talking about creating a personal brand in your narrative, right? Sometimes there's something in someone's uh, personal history or work history that they're a little bit unsure about or how to talk about. Maybe it's like a gap in skills or a gap in your resume. Um, for whatever reason, how do you address things like this? I have that come up a fair amount, honestly, because it, it could either be a gap because they took time off by choice. It could be a layoff. It could be that they got fired. You know, there's a, there's a lot of different circumstances. There are people might feel a bit uneasy 
about how to share it. And so it's really individualistic. You know, I, I, I would say that honesty and brevity are probably the two biggest things. I don't think you need to go into a huge explanation about something. It could be, yeah, during that time I had to take care of a sick family member and so they're doing much better now and I'm really looking to get back into the workforce. Could be that you got into a layoff and so the company was doing a lot of cuts. We really encountered some financial difficulties and I was part of a widespread layoff and, you know, excited to be finding my next role. Acknowledgement, I think, is important because otherwise there's going to be questions and and so being proactive about acknowledging it but owning it and not going into too much detail would you add anything to that i i think that's absolutely on point but i yeah no that's wonderful well put um it's funny that you need to say brevity but it's important because i think you feel sensitive about sometimes people feel sensitive about it so you feel the need to talk on and on about this thing (laughs) and really the answer is be brief and direct so that there's you know you're not communicating fear about it you're not communicating shame because people people can feel like they're embarrassed or they're shameful about it and most of the time if not all of the time there's nothing to be ashamed about it's it's something that happened and there's and you move on from it and what did you learn I think that also could be something that if it was a more difficult situation you can say you know in that situation this is what happened and I really learned a lot from that and I'm excited to apply my learnings here you know I think um there was one there's been several times where people want to give the whole life story like it can take 10 minutes to get through exactly what happened and I feel when I'm listening to that story a lot of empathy for whatever they went through and that's not to dismiss anything but when you're in an interview situation you are talking about how you're adding value to them you're interviewing them as well it's it's more important in many ways that they are a fit for you but you want to give them the chance like you want to have the chance to turn them down so in that interview situation you want to present yourself and show why you're a great fit for them and so don't go down rabbit holes that aren't going to help show your value. Oftentimes people come to business school in order to make a career switch. And then there are times when, you know, you're kind of past the school phase and you're looking to uh, switch your career. Do you have thoughts on, you know, how one is different than the other or how to approach one versus the other? This is another one of my high horses. So there's um, with the students, with the MBA students, there is an innate pressure every year that they're getting closer to graduation and they're like, I have to make a switch. And so it's it's this, um, I'm going to lose the value of my degree if, if I wait too long. So I would say that in some ways, and I'm going to use this term, I'm going to give a caveat, Not, making career switch is never easy. In some ways, when you go back to school and get a different degree, making a switch at that point in time is easier, and I'm making quotes in that, okay? That does not mean that later on in your career, when you have gone into finance and or you've gone into consulting and you are, okay, I'm ready to make a career switch, that that is not going to work just as well. So to answer your question, I think that um, you can make a career switch at any point in time. What it requires is the self-awareness and self-assessment, the intentionality, the building of relationships, 
the understanding what you want to be communicating about your brand, um, you know, what you want to be communicating about the value that you have and positioning yourself for that. And don't do it alone. You know, have a network that is a supportive network between family, friends, colleagues, whoever is in part of that. And I encourage people to think broadly, but you can do it at any point in time. So don't narrow yourself to, I I can only do this when I'm in school or when I'm young. Thank you for sharing that. Um, As we conclude, what final advice or words of encouragement would you give professionals that desire to switch careers? Or it could be a resource that you absolutely love. I'm going to pass that to Chantal because she did it. So what advice would you have? Beyond the things that we've discussed here. You know, the experience that I had might be slightly different, but the viewpoint that I have is not necessarily a switch so much as an expansion. I'm putting tools into my tool belts, I'm leveraging the things that I've learned before, and I'm continuing to grow as a professional. Uh, I think if because my mindset was that way, it gave me the confidence that Danielle had referred to earlier. So I'm talking to professionals that have career in hedge fund management, now they're head of finance, and I need to be able to go toe-to-toe, but I just rely on those former skill sets that I had as I'm thinking about continuing to grow and expand my career. Maybe that would just relieve a little bit of the mental pressure of like imposter syndrome or thinking that you don't belong, because really you do and you have a lot to contribute. I love that. I love that so much. Um, I think expansion is exactly right. And I think my advice is similar to what I said about, you know, really think about what you truly want to be doing. Sometimes it can just be an easy thing. Somebody taps you on the shoulder and you move into that. But it's not necessarily a fit for you. So what is that fit? How do you find that fit? Don't feel like you have to do it alone. And do that self-evaluation. When did you feel like you were really connected to the work you were doing? When did you feel less energized and really like this is not what I want to be doing? What's information and insight that you can bring from that? If you're feeling frozen, you're feeling stuck, take one small step. What is one small doable, achievable task that you can set for yourself as a goal and set a deadline? I'm going to reach out to somebody who's doing work that I'm really interested in that I know, but I don't know very well, and I'm going to have a conversation. But set one small thing to help you feel like you're moving forward, especially if you feel stuck, because those action steps are going to help to make you feel hope and help to keep that trajectory moving forward. Yes, yes. I think one of my favorite resources is a book called Designing Your Life, Mm. um, which uses design thinking to help people explore, you know, different paths. Something that you said just triggered a question. Um, I think you mentioned not necessarily taking the easy route. You know, if you're just because someone taps you in the shoulder for something, you don't necessarily need to take it. Um, What it reminded me of is that sometimes in the job search, people have this mindset of like, I have to take whatever I can get, Mm -hmm. which in some ways can be destructive. It depends. Like that's almost the answer to everything. It depends. Mm -hmm. But what are your thoughts on that? I think Chantal lived through that. Why don't you talk about that? I'll start by saying at my time when I was in R&D, I wasn't happy. I was incredibly fulfilled, but there was just this 
you know, burning desire of, of expanding that I wasn't able to get um, on that job. One thing that was incredibly helpful was having a manager who was a very close mentor and, and personal sponsor. And he actually said to me, you know, Chantel, I think for your desires, you're just not getting what it is that you're looking for here. Let me help you try to figure out what comes next. Um, so we were talking around the organization. I had shared my goals and desires. And when I um, signaled to the organization that I was looking for something beyond what I was taking, I ended up getting a, a, quite a few incredibly attractive offers within R&D in other divisions that were, I mean, if I were just driven by my own ego, I would have taken them on the spot because it was such an honor to even be considered for these really high, high profile, high responsibility roles. If I hadn't had that Excel spreadsheet of my values that Danielle had helped me create, and I was just going based off of, wow, somebody thinks that I can do this job. Of course I'm going to want to try it. But I sat down and I looked at that sheet that I had spent so much time refining, and it really didn't meet the needs of what I was looking for next. And I, I would just say, echoing what Danielle had said before, just be intentional, be true to the things that you really want, and it doesn't hurt to write them down. It doesn't have to be a poor or a bad conversation to say, you know what, thank you, I'm so honored that you would think of me for this role. I Can I come back to you? Can we stay connected? I'll try to help you find somebody who's right. That's exactly right. I um, I think the intentionality, the self-awareness, it's fear sometimes if, if I don't take that, is it wrecking my career? You know, am, am I going to be now punished in some way for not taking it? And I think that honesty piece, it's important to have those. You were very lucky to have such an advocate and support. Um, and everybody doesn't have that in their bosses, but there may be people elsewhere. So look for those advocates. Look for those key partners wherever you are, because that's going to help to enable you to be intentional and if you do get tapped on the shoulder for an opportunity, I think, and it's not the right one, then the honesty piece, I think, can go far. And just explaining, I am so honored, just like what Chantal said, like, I'm so honored and really love the company. Let's say it's you're staying at the company. You know, when I think about my career and where I see myself going next, it's really in this other direction. And I feel like it would be a disservice to move into this for the company at this point in time. I'd love to stay connected and you know keep the door open for future possibilities. I will absolutely, I love what you said too about finding someone, happy to help you try to find someone who's a great fit. You know, I, I hope that this isn't going to stall my career in any way. I just wanted to be honest about where I thought I'd be adding the most value. And I, I think there's something to be said about really staying true to yourself. It's hard and it's scary, but those conversations, if done right, can open up other doors instead of feeling like you're having to walk through one you don't want to. It takes courage. It takes like courage. what you what you all are speaking about takes courage to turn down something that doesn't feel quite right when you don't have something else. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And you, you don't want to jump from the frying pan into the fire. That part. <laughs> In fact, the same uh, manager that I was speaking about had given me this um, 
guidance before. He said, listen, you really don't want to run away from your current position. You want to run toward something. And I think that mentality, when you bring it to an interview, is so important because the hiring manager wants to hear that you're excited to join them, not that you're excited to leave that old job, too, you know? So um, that mentality is also really important. Thank you all so much. This has been a great conversation. I really appreciate you guys taking the time and being here today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. This was such a pleasure. Really wonderful. Thanks, Monique. For more information about the Goisweta Effect podcast, visit emory.biz forward slash podcast.